We are in Acts chapter 8 today. It's good to see all of you. We finished last week. We didn't get into Acts 8, did we? No. Oh, no. We're just uh, I thought we were just finishing up about Stephen. Notice how he was stoned to death. When, you know, people have died for the faith of Jesus Christ, and we have it, we've so far have had it pretty easy in this country. But parts of the world, there's still persecution like this, still stoning, still cutting off of heads. But notice after he gave this gospel message, and it was so wonderful, but he said to them, which of the prophets didn't your fathers persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, like Isaiah, this verse 52 of chapter 7, and the just one of whom you now you leaders in Israel have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Well, you can imagine how furious they were. And when they heard these words, they were cut to the heart, gnashed at him with their teeth. He, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, ran out him with one accord and they cast him out of the city stoned him and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul now today we will meet Saul and all he's going to have to suffer for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ but this is when he kicked against the pricks as he heard this message of Stephen I'm convinced of that and it really convinced him and convicted him so he knelt down and cried with a loud voice Lord don't charge them with this sin when he had said this he fell asleep and this is the term for Christian death now Saul verse 8 Saul this is later becomes Paul Saul was consenting to his death At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So with this, we'll ask God to bless us, Lord. Thank you for this time together in your word. Bless it to our hearts as we consider the early days, the formation of the church of Jesus Christ in transition as the gospel, as you said to them, I want you to preach the gospel in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then all over the earth while they were staying in Jerusalem and now they're scattered and so that's what they're doing they went everywhere preaching the gospel bless this lesson today in Jesus wonderful name amen so except the apostles still stayed in Jerusalem and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him as for Saul he made havoc of the church entering every house dragging off men and women and committing them to prison you need to remember that what he was doing after this for a while therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word which is exactly what God said for them to do then Philip went down to the city of Samaria now Samaria is north but when you go down from Jerusalem it's down in every direction because that's a high mountain I always think south but no they went northeast they went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them and the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed and I talked a little bit about 
demon possession, but wherever the gospel is not known and wherever something false is, that's where Satan moves in and demons come in and can possess people. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man. Now, this is very important, I think. The Reformed people say one thing, and I want you to see what you think when you hear if this man really was saved or not. Was he saved or wasn't he saved? Can you believe the Bible, or does the Bible mean what it says and says what it means? Let's notice about this. And there was great joy in the city. Well, that made Satan furious, who was controlling things. He's the prince of this world. There was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. Well, he could do miracles by Satan's power. To whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is a great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. And Simon himself also believed. Now, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens to you? You are saved. For God so loved the world that when Simon believed in him, God gave him everlasting life. And Simon himself, but what was he? He was a baby Christian. But now I heard a man, a five-point Calvinist, a professor at Dallas Seminary, who later they fired. He gave a sermon at Christ Community Church called The Faith That Saves and The Faith That Doesn't Save. Now, if that isn't a confusing title for a sermon, and he used this passage of Simon, the faith that doesn't say... Now, even Dr. Ryrie's notes lean a little Reformed. Reformed people teach that you just can't be saved and do evil things. Well, you could be saved and do pretty evil things. David was saved, and he did evil things, and you and I do evil things, but maybe not this bad. But Simon himself also believed. I've underlined that. And when he was baptized, so he got baptized... Philip baptized him. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. And he'd been used to doing them with Satan's power, not the same ones, but others. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. You know the origin of the Samaritan people? After the Assyrians, oh, I didn't intend to do this, but in Kings... Let's see if I can come to it rather quickly. I better in Kings, the origin of the Samaritans. Second Kings seventeen. This is the origin of the Samaritans. Who were they? And who did Jesus when he went to the woman at the well, you know, in Samaria? Jesus said in the fourth chapter of John, I must needs go to Samaria. And there was this woman, and he led her to himself for salvation. But where did these Samaritans come from? You need to remember that in chapter 17 of Second Kings, in the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hosea, the son of Elah, became king of Israel in Samaria. And he reigned nine years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, 
came up against him, came up. See, he really came. See, Israel's lifted up, but this fellow came from the plains of Assyria, came up against him, and Hosea became his vassal and paid him tribute money. And the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hosea, for he had sent messengers to sow king of Egypt and brought no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Now the king of Assyria went through all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them. This is what they used to do. They'd take captives away and place them in other cities that they had captured and place them in Hala by the Habor in the river of Gozan and in the cities of the Medes, like Nineveh and all these places that's now Mosul. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods, and had walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel, and of the kings of Israel which they had made. And also the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord their God things that were not right, and they built for themselves high places in all their cities, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up sacred pillars and wooden images, these are idols, obscene idols, on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burned incense on all the high places, as the nations had done whom the Lord had carried away before them. And they did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger, for they served idols of which the Lord had said, You shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel, against Judah, by all of his prophets, saying, namely every seer, like Isaiah, saying, Turn from your evil ways, keep my commandments, and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to my servants the prophets. Nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenants that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies which he had testified against them. They followed idols and became idolaters and went after the nations who were all around them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. So they left the commandments of the Lord their God, made for themselves a molded image and two calves, made a wooden image, worshipped all the host of heaven, and served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire. They sacrificed their children, practiced witchcraft and soothsaying, sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight, and there was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. Also, Judah didn't keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked. See, by this time, the kingdom was in two. They had civil war. The northern kingdom was Israel, which was taken to Assyria. The southern kingdom was Judah, and later on, it was taken captive to Babylon scattered all over. So that's where Jewish people are scattered all over the world since this time. And Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord, but walked in the statutes of Israel which they made. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them from his sight. And before he tore Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king, then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did, that first king, made the golden calves and started worship, made priests of his own 
choosing, and they didn't depart from him until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all of his servants the prophets. So Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria, as it is to this day. Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, from Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. And it was so, see, all these Mesopotamian people, people from where we would say now are Assyria and Assyria, Mesopotamia, Iraq, Iran. They feared the Lord, yet, let's see, and it was so at the beginning of their dwelling there, after he brought them, displaced them, they didn't fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations that you've removed and placed in the cities of Samaria don't know the rituals of the God of the land. Therefore, he sent lions among them, and indeed they're killing them because they don't know the rituals of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Send there one of the priests uh, whom you brought from there. See, no, this is not going to be worse than pure paganism. It's going to be a mixture of the truth and the false. Send one of the priests whom you brought from there and let him go and dwell there and let him teach them the rituals of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. However, every nation continued to make gods of its own, put them in the houses of the high places which the Samaritans had made, every nation in the cities where they dwelt. The men of Babylon made Succoth Beneth, that's a heathen idol. The men of Cuth made Nergal. The men of Hamath made Ashima and the Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak. The Sepharvim burned their children in fire to Adramalek and Anamalek, the gods of Sepharvim. So they feared the Lord, and from every class they appointed for themselves priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. They feared the Lord, yet served their own gods according to the rituals of the nations from whom they were carried away. To this day they continue practicing the former rituals. They don't fear the Lord, nor do they follow their statutes or their ordinances or the law and commandments which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. So this is what happened, that the Lord your God told them to fear him. However, verse 40, they did not obey, but followed their former rituals. So these nations feared the Lord, yet served the carved images. Also their children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did even to this day. So back to Acts where we see that uh, this Samaria, where Philip is called, imagine he didn't want to go there in the first place to preach Christ to them. And so Simon, who was a sorcerer, believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. See, you see why the Jews, as the woman told Jesus, the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. They didn't have any dealings with them. So they wanted to stay away from them because they were a mixture of the heathenism and the truth. So the apostles heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them, 
They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. See, this is why Acts is a transition book. Now today, this doesn't happen. Today, if if a person believes in Jesus, immediately the Holy Spirit comes in to indwell them and, and live in their person. But in those days, it was a giving of here and here and here of of receiving the Holy Spirit. And they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit in Samaria. Now, when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God, which is acts of the giving of the Holy Spirit, the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore. Now, if he weren't a believer, a baby believer that didn't know anything, Peter wouldn't have said repent. He would have said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But change your mind. Repent, therefore, of this of your wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Now, that wouldn't have been a prayer that he would have prayed to a heathen, but that was one, a baby Christian. Say that you lead someone to the Lord of them all today. And they don't know very much, but they know that they believed in Jesus. Well, that's all this fellow knew. But so he wanted to make a little money. (laughs) That's typical of a lot of preachers and creatures and television hawkers of the religion. Anyway, so Simon saw that the laying on of the apostles' hands, that he offered the money. Give me this power so I can do this. And so Peter says, You neither have part nor portion in this matter. Your heart isn't right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of your wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. So Simon answered and said, Well, you pray to the Lord for me. In other words, I'm just a baby Christian. You pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans, which was a miracle in itself that they would preach the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans when we saw the background of these people. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. So Philip arose. Now this is another wonderful, wonderful story. He arose, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the, probably Candace, but Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all of her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, we need to consider this man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority. Now, a eunuch of great authority, uh, he, he was probably a slave over there, taken captive. What did they do to Daniel? There are many places in, turn to Second Kings 20, 17 and 18. Second Kings 20. That's why you learn many doctrinal truths from studying the Old Testament. So at that time, this is Hezekiah is sick. And the Lord has healed him. And at that time, verse 12, Barodak Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah. This is also uh, given again in the book of Isaiah, this story. He sent a present to Hezekiah 
the king because he heard that he'd been sick. And Hezekiah was attentive. The present goes before the softened the way for this to do what they want him to do. Uh, later on, they're going to come and take captive everybody, take everything back to Babylon. So Hezekiah here he was sick and Hezekiah was attentive to them and showed them all the house of his treasures the silver, gold, spices precious ointment and all of his armory all that was found among his treasures wasn't that a foolish thing to do there was nothing in his house or in all of his dominion that Hezekiah didn't show them then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him what did these men say and where did they come from and Hezekiah said they came from a far country from Babylon and he said, well, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, they've seen all that's in my house. There's nothing among my treasures. See, Proverbs 1.3 says that when you know God's word wisdom, you'll have prudence, which is wisdom in understanding these things. He didn't have any prudence or any smarts as far as what this fellow was doing. They've seen all that's in my house. There's nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that's in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. What happened to Daniel? This was fulfilled in Daniel's day, wasn't it? 111 years later, uh, the palace of the king of Babylon. Now, this eunuch, uh, do your Bible, does it say official or does it say eunuch, which is a castrated male? But the word had changed in a thousand years. Back 2000 B.C., Cyrus meant official, and it's used of Potiphar. When Joseph was sold to Potiphar, who it says the same word, Sares, well, it said that he was a eunuch. He wasn't. He was an official. Back then, 2,000 years before, the word meant official. Put this in your notes. S-A-R-I-S meant official in 2000 B.C. But as words change over time, by Daniel's time, it had been called, because I don't have that. Does anyone have an, an NIV? I hope not, but... Rich isn't here today. <laughs> I turned my mind. <laughs> you, you yes. have one? Yeah. Well, what does it say in yeah. chapter 20, yeah. verse 18? Mm-hmm. Eunuchs. Well, then that's good. They shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now, you can go back to Joseph and see if he was called a eunuch in the last of Genesis. So anyway, this is what happened to Daniel. So Daniel was made a eunuch. They were taken captive to Babylon hundred years later. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word that the Lord of the Lord which you've spoken is good for, he said, will there not be peace and truth at least in my days? He said, it won't happen in my time. On my watch, some other watch, it will happen. And it did happen later on. So here we are back here with an angel of the Lord. Now, what do you think this fellow was doing in Ethiopia. What nationality do you think he would be? A man of Ethiopia, because there were at the day of Pentecost, people came, Jews were there from Ethiopia, from all over the world. But he was a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. The thing that convinced me of his ethnicity was who had charge of all of her treasury. Now, who would you put in charge of your treasury but a Morgenthau? or someone like that that is very smart, Jewish. And I'm sure he was Jewish. Maybe that's just me, but this came to me that 
a man because he was made a eunuch under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, but he had charge of all of her treasury, but he was a Jew, so he was coming to worship in Jerusalem like they did three times a year. And so he'd come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. He'd been there, and, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, which is such a wonderful chapter. I was just reading the Jews for Jesus, a newsletter that came for June. And they have bits from the branches on the last page, they call it, of letters that come to them. And uh, there was one that, that said that when he saw this Isaiah 53, he couldn't help but believe that it was Jesus. And he wasn't a believer yet, but he said, it sounds like Jesus Christ. When you read Isaiah 53, it's wonderful. But here's what he was reading. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet Isaiah say this? Of himself? Is, it, is, is Isaiah talking about himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. What a wonderful thing to do, to start with the scripture the fellow was reading and preach Jesus to him. And so now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I think that's what Simon the sorcerer said. And then he was baptized. But this fellow is a new believer too. But he is going to go back and spread the gospel in where he came from in Ethiopia. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So Philip commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. You know, that's what water baptism teaches. When you put under the water, I died with Christ, I'm buried with him, but I'm risen from the dead. But when you come back up out of the water, that's what water baptism, I can't see that sprinkling teaches that same thing, that down under the water I died with Christ, I've risen with him to new life. But that's the scriptural way. But I suppose if there's no water, spit would do. <laughs> and that's what they say. Then anyway, but Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. That would be all up the coast north. Now the chapter 9, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Now he's over in Jerusalem. So he goes to the high priest and asks letters from the high priest to go to the synagogues of Damascus so that he, if he found any who were of the way, don't you love that? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So they evidently called believers in Jesus the way, this new church, the way. If you find any of the way, 
that whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. It would be north in Syria, same Damascus. It's a very ancient city, and it's full of riots today, isn't it? And they're trying to take away Assad so that the Muslim Brotherhood can run in there like they did in Egypt. So that's what we're doing. It's so terrible, and you don't hear this, do you? But that's exactly what's going to be. They want to put Sharia law all over the world and they're doing this and we are helping them and I can't help them believe the Lord is displeased with America that the path we're taking it's all really anti-Semitism all the nations are going to be against Israel the only friend they're going to have is the one that's most important and that's the Lord and he's going to act for them and if you wonder how he's going to act just read the 38th chapter of Ezekiel and that could be soon but before that the rapture will happen and every believer will be caught away and that's why I was praying just yesterday that that Bibi Netanyahu would somehow accept Jesus before the rapture otherwise I'm sure he'll be he will afterward well the Jewish people will many will but so Saul goes to see if there are any other way whether men or women that he might bring them back bound to Jerusalem And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around about him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Don't you love that? Who are you, Lord? (laughs) And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So who are you, Jehovah? So he's equating Jehovah, the Old Testament God of the Jew with himself and the Lord said I am Jesus whom you are persecuting it is hard for you to kick against the goads the pricks like a a cattle that being prodded he doesn't like that and so he heard the message of Stephen I'm convinced of that and his conscience was bothering him it's hard for you when your conscience is bothering you to kick against the goads so Saul trembling and astonished said well Lord what do you want me to do and the Lord said to him arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do and the men who journeyed with him stood speechless hearing a voice but seeing no one then Saul arose and from the ground and when his eyes were opened he saw no one but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus and he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. God has his disciples everywhere, doesn't he? He had a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to Ananias, the Lord said in a a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in. I don't know whether he sees it with a a placard around his neck, I'm Ananias. But whatever he knew, this man in a vision named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, So he's going to argue with him. Like Moses argued, Lord, I'm slow of speech. I can't go back to Pharaoh. I can't lead these children of Israel out of slavery. And Ananias said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, 
for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Let's just look at a few of them. Turn to Second Corinthians 11. Paul is defending himself in Second Corinthians because they're calling him all kind of names and accusing him of all kinds of things, that he is a false apostle. And so he said here, let's see, I better start with verse 16. I say again, let no one think me a fool, if otherwise at least receive me as a fool, that I also may boast a little. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. Seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. For you, he's going to boast about all the sufferings he's gone through. For you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise. And he's saying this with tongue in cheek. For you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face to our shame. I say that we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly. I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. So evidently more than once he was raised back to life. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things that come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches, who is weak and I'm not weak, who is made to stumble and I don't burn with indignation. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. And so he goes on to tell other things. In chapter 12, he goes on to say the worst thing that happened to him. Well, let's just read the end of verse 31 of 11. And the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desiring to apprehend me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in a wall and escaped from his hands. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man, this is one of the times he was stoned, I know a man in Christ, that you're either in Christ or out of Christ, you either believe in him or don't. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I don't know or whether out of the body I don't know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words. See, when Jesus rose from the dead, he led 
paradise, which was in the heart of the earth, uh, captive. He led captivity captive, Ephesians 4, and took paradise, the saved section of Sheol, up to heaven. I was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words. Now, if he had died before Jesus rose from the dead, he would have gone down to paradise. See, do you see what I'm saying? But paradise was taken, and all the souls and spirits of the saved believers were caught up from paradise into the third heaven where God dwells. So that's where Paul was caught up after the resurrection of Jesus, how he was caught up into paradise. You might want to write in your Bibles Ephesians 4, 8, and 9, when he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. It's a picture of what happened at the resurrection and the start of the church. He was resurrected, he was caught up to heaven, and then he gave these spiritual gifts to men. It's a wonderful passage. But he said, I won't boast of such a one, yet of myself I won't boast, except in mine infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth, but I forbear, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure." Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, this thorn in the flesh, probably I, something with his eye. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient. We'll see that farther in Acts where he couldn't see that it was a high priest. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And it goes on to talk more about this. But that, So Jesus said to him, go back to Acts chapter 9, for he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, that took courage, didn't it? Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Isn't this he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength, confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this is Jesus, the Christ. Now, I want us to turn, because some time has elapsed. Turn to Galatians chapter 1, where Paul fills in a little bit on this history. He's writing to the Galatian believers after he'd been there and started the church. Galatia is Gaul. The English came from them, and the Spanish, and the German, and the French, and the Irish. So probably most of us in this room came from Galatia, from the Gauls. 
And he said, Grace to you and peace from God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel, he said to the Galatians, that you're turning away so soon. You'd just been there and preached the gospel, and they were on fire for Jesus. But you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. So is it possible for believers like Simon to fall into sin? He said, you're believing a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said again before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you've received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, then I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I didn't receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries of my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, when it pleased him to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But so after this verse in Acts, he probably went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now, when I see anybody going to Arabia... I'm just wondering if it's down there at Mount Sinai where Moses went, where the children of Israel were 40 years, where I think that children of Israel will flee during the tribulation to the mountain of God. What better place for God to teach him but the mountain of God down there, Jabal el-Laz, it's in Arabia. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I don't lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face to the churches of Judea which were in Christ but they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy and they glorified God in me then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me and we'll see all this how it happens in the book of Acts and took Titus and went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles but privately to those who were of reputation lest by any means I might run or had run in vain yet not even Titus who was with me being a Greek was compelled to be circumcised but this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Jesus Christ see others were coming in saying it isn't enough to just believe in Jesus it isn't enough to just believe Paul's message of faith alone in Jesus to say you've got to keep the law of Moses and be circumcised you've got to do these other things you have to add works to salvation and so these brethren 
false. They were brought in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ, that they might bring us to bondage, in whom we didn't yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, makes no difference to me. Paul saying these people think they're somebody. God shows no personal favoritism to any man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised to Peter. In other words, Paul was given the commission to go to the Gentiles, the uncircumcised. Peter was given the commission to preach the gospel to the circumcised, the Jews. For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. But when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his faith because he was to be blamed. So all of this, you need to read Galatians. You could read it in connection with these things. But back to Acts where he preached the gospel in Damascus. Then verse 23, back to Acts 9:23. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. But when the disciples took him by night, we read about what happened. They let him down through the wall in a basket in the second Corinthians. And they let him down through the wall by night in a large basket. He must have been a small man, because I'm sure that King Saul, who was a tall, huge man, couldn't have fit in any little basket. Even if it's a basket this size, he probably scrunched down in there in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and didn't believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus, where he was from, in the first place. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Now it came to pass, verse 32, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he came down to the saints who dwelt at Lydda. And he found there a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples had heard that Peter was there, and they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. 
Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, little maid, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days with Simon, a tanner. Now then we come to chapter 10, which we'll just start a little bit, because this answers the question. Just like each doctrine is taught in most all of these chapters, but what about those who've never heard? What about those who've never heard? Let's turn in closing to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And then we'll take this up next week. Paul said in 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. This gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. How to be right with God from faith to faith, from salvation faith to post-salvation faith. I'm convinced it's that faith in Jesus for salvation, faith in the word of God afterward to read what God's love letter has to say to us. Uh, faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth, the truth of the gospel, in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes... I'm convinced this is the gospel in the stars. That's why you all need to get that book by Ken Fleming, God's Voice in the Stars, or Bollinger's book, The Gospel in the Stars. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen. Now, his attributes of sovereignty, righteousness, love, justice, eternal life, omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence, veracity, and truth. All these things, these invisible attributes you can know about God being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so you can see look at nature you can look at creation and know that there is a God know that there is a creator even his eternal power and Godhead so by looking at nature itself and they turn away from God they're without excuse because although they knew God Underline there without excuse. So people go to hell because they choose to. See, they're without excuse. They choose to go the false way. They choose to go Satan's way because although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, I'm convinced this is the way it was in the early days of the church. And in the early days of creation, in Genesis, they all knew about God because God gave them these star pictures, these constellations in the heavens before there was a written word, and he named them, and they understood by the star names in each constellation, and he put them in 12 constellations with sub, called decans, sub-constellations that told the whole story that later would be in the Bible. 
that later would be in the Bible, that there's going to be a Savior, be born of a virgin, and he'll be a mighty person, but he'll be God and man. That's Sagittarius, the, the half man, half animal. The, by these pictures, but you understand in the hoof of the horse of uh, Pegasus, in, not Sagittarius, in Pegasus, the hoof of the horse, the main star, the horse and the man, it's the heretofore and the hereafter. He always was. He always, see, this mighty man who's God-man. So they could know all of these things before and about the serpent slithering through the longest constellation in the heavens. And that's in the last part of the book with ravens picking on his flesh, eating him. So all of that is in there. And I can give you little charts of this, and I think I better do it by next week. But they, they're without excuse, because although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God. Like the children of Israel who came out of Egypt, they'd seen all the signs. They'd gone through the water on dry land. They'd seen miracles of water coming out of the rock and bread from heaven. They knew about him, and yet they turned away. They didn't glorify him. They weren't thankful and became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. This is how heathen become heathen. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. And all those images are images of something that God had made in the star pictures in the heavens. He said to, like Adam, draw an imaginary picture of a man and a beast, the body of a man and the behind of a horse. I guess that's what the way it is. And name it this name. And so this is what they made God into an image like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And like... Uh, what was the thing they worshipped in Egypt? Apis the bull? Well, the bull was one of the signs of Jesus, the mighty one who would be the conqueror and rule the earth, and the mighty lion of the tribe of Judah. They began to make images of these heavenly signs. And this is why I think it's very important to understand because it opens up a lot of scripture. Mrs. Muntz first taught this in a class where I was, and it just like a light went on in my head. I thought, well, that answers this, 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 this. That's what heathenism is. Therefore, God gives them up to uncleanness, to lewdness, to the lusts of their heart, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And all heathenism is this. But they dishonor their bodies, exchange the truth of God for the lie, and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what's against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what's shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they didn't like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. This is what happens when you turn away from God and you turn the other way and follow these things. You're without excuse who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death not only do the same but also approve of those who practice it. <coughs> Heathenism has always been this 
perversion of sex. So next week, in closing today, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. He was a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man, and one who feared God with all of his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Now you'd think he was saved, wouldn't you? All those things, that, but their works. He was a very fine man. He was positive at God consciousness. So every member of the human race we're going to see realizes there's a God through creation or some other way. There are five ways. And when they realize there's a God, they say either I want to know him like this fella or I don't care about him. I don't want to know him. Then they're without excuse. Now this is where we'll take up next week. We'll take this all up and discuss this doctrine of what happens to those (laughs) who've never heard so-called never heard. Lord, thank you for this time and your word. Bless it to our hearts in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Any questions on anything? What were the, what are the five ways, Margaret? They are a lot of things. I'm going to just read this to you if you want me to. One of God's attributes is perfect righteousness. Thus, he cannot be unfair to any member of the human race. See, God isn't fair to me or my because of what's happened to me the way I've been. He isn't fair. But he can't be unfair to any member of the human race. Perfect justice is another attribute. God is also offers unlimited atonement. He's not willing that anyone perish, Second Peter 3, 9. He died for the whole world. God so loved the world that he gave. And all these passages. And man has a free will or volition. John 7 says, if any man will, Jeremiah 29, 3, Isaiah 55, like Moses said, I've set before you life and death. Choose life. Well, how can you choose life if you don't have a free will? You do have free will. So there are two areas where volition or free will is exercised, at the point of God consciousness and the point of gospel hearing. There are five ways men arrive at God consciousness. A person does not have accountability before God consciousness. There's the religious way, the moral or anthropological way, the ontological way or philosophical approach, the teleological way, the cosmological way. These ways, the religious way, there's a religious instinct, like Acts 17, that they might seek after and grope after him. There's a God-shaped vacuum inside of everyone there. The religious way. That's a moral way or anthropological way. The ontological way is the philosophical approach and that there must be an ideal or there must be an absolute, so there must be something behind the absolute. Then the teleological way, scientists like this, that the structure of the universe demands a designer. That's the teleological way. The cosmological cause and effect demand a maker and a preserver. The order and arrangement of the universe, creation, indicates or demands a supreme designer, Romans 1. So, at the point of God consciousness, one of these ways you come, they are without excuse. You either go positive or negative. Now, Cornelius went positive. We read in there that you need to go and tell this man what he needs to do to be saved, what he ought to do. Not what he has to do, what he ought to do, free will. So next week we'll take that. Cornelius was positive at God consciousness and positive at gospel hearing. That's the best choice.